It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, that's an interesting one from Anne Godfrey in Cork City, Ireland. Uh, Dear Jane and Fee, may I stand up for your much maligned theme tune? After a hard day working in admin in the Irish Health Service, I like nothing better than logging onto your podcast and having a quick bop around my kitchen to the off-air tune as I get my dinner ready. Incidentally, I'll be 60 this year and have recently realised that my cooking skills have not advanced much since 1984. Of course, compared to global warming, failing health systems and the reality of women still having to juggle everything, the loss of a signature tune is of minimal import, but I just thought I would stand up for it. Well, do you know what, Anne? Here goes. This might be one of the last times that you hear it. Get a bit of a jiggle on. There you go. Well, you might be on our own, but Anne in Cork enjoyed that um, I think Cork have you been to Cork it's a lovely place no I, I haven't visited the um, the southern part of Ireland very much at all no well I've been on a few uh, a few family holidays actually and Cork is absolutely gorgeous in fact I really must go back I really must go back to Ireland um, I wonder whether they'd have me permanently what do you think I would move there. I think they'd welcome you because you can tap into your Irish roots and then you can tell them all about how you're from Liverpool. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Though with links to Ireland. And they'd be I suspect they'd be completely gripped. Like hell. Yeah, Uh, but the thing is, if you did that, you would be amongst a lot of people with that story. It's like Joe Biden. (laughs) I'm Irish. Joe, you're not. Okay. Um, I can't remember which great, great, great grandparent he claims um, to be born in Ireland. And I'm sure they were born in Ireland. But I'm always of the view that it doesn't make you, it didn't make you anything. Because you have all of us, practically every single person in Britain has a great, great, great grandparent born in Ireland. I bet most of us do. I bet statistically there's a really high chance that everybody has at least one great-great-great-grandparent born in Ireland. Yeah, fair enough. Have have I made myself clear? Yes, you have. Right, OK. Excellent. Uh, Anne uh, would like to correct us on the pronunciation. So we did all of those pronunciations at the Belgian place yesterday. No, none of them were right. Oh, no. So Anne says it's Macarlan. Oh, for God's sake. I know, the one that we didn't try. Uh, but Anne says, by the way, I spend an enormous amount of time right near there, so please pass on my address. Because it, the, we, we, we were hearing from a correspondent yes, who was Gabby. about... Gabby, who was about yeah. the well done, who was about to move there and wanted some friendship. So we might put you in touch. Well, I hope we can. That would be great. Uh, now, we mentioned, I think, on the podcast yesterday that Fee was going out and about uh, empowering. and um, 
you've got some praise for your empowering last night. This is in the week of International Women's Day when, as we discussed yesterday, uh, women uh, do tend to be asked to go to empower. <laughs> it's felt laughable. And we're both five foot one and we're asked to go out. Go on, get out there. Empower others to be like you. Um, I know, and there's a bit of a worry, isn't there? Because you do think, I'm just going to turn up to these places looking completely shattered. <laughs> and not all that powered. <laughs> not that powered. <laughs> no. Right, Melanie says, I have treated myself to a large vessel of tea and a stack of biscuits, and I've tuned into your show when I really should be working. This is the Times Radio Show. However, as yesterday started at 6am and ended 20 hours later, I think I deserve it. Thank you, Fee, for coming along to our International Women's Day event and speaking so positively to us all. After an intense evening, your talk was a tonic and an invigorating way to conclude. I'm still chuckling about you being allowed to read the travel and then the travel and the weather. You should be so proud. You're an inspiration to me. Thank you. I'm going to finish this. Thank you for your creative brilliance, quick wit and wonderful humour. And it cost me quite a lot personally to read that out. Uh, I have done it. And uh, more power to the little lady for turning up last night and empowering so I tell you folk. what, International Women's Day is not easy on many levels. Uh, I wish you the very best of luck uh, with your empowering tonight. Yes. I think, actually, yours is a slightly shorter straw because uh, we're at the end of our working week now, aren't we? Well, we are. Well, though we're not, though, are we? Because we're actually working oh, tomorrow night as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and we are, just in case anybody's in London could get to London for tomorrow night. Um, we're at the Women of the World Festival, and the highlights of that show will be at Times Radio podcast at some point in the near future. But we've got uh, Mayor Sial is going to be with us on stage uh, tomorrow night, half past seven, and also June Oscar, who is an Aboriginal rights. Uh, she's a commissioner, and she's a very important woman, and speaks very passionately about the rights of Aboriginal women and girls in particular. We'll also be chatting a little bit about the week's news and we would uh, very much welcome your participation in that. It's kind of open mic at the Royal Festival Hall. It is and there are going to be people, uh, you can either come to the mic to speak if you want to. It's more of our conversation that we're having actually at half past seven tomorrow. So it would be lovely to see you if you're there. Uh, Drinks are available, there is a bar there. Yeah, Uh, I know, you know. And mine's a dry carver and uh, Jane's is a what is yours at the moment? Uh, do you know, I've just got into White Wayne. White Wayne? Yes. And so I'm having of an evening. And my daughter, I've noticed, has begun to comment on this. Are you drinking again? <laughs> but I literally have one really small glass of White Wayne. Do you know what? Will Lyons will be very, very yes, pleased to hear it's that. it's him. He's actually beginning to convert me. And although having said that, I went to the theatre last night and had a rum punch. A rum punch? I know, and that was absolutely lovely. A rum punch? <laughs> Seriously? I did feel a bit uh, squiffy. Did it have I... a cherry on top? No, it was actually really lovely. Mini umbrella? No, it didn't have a brolly. Slash no. a pineapple? <laughs> it was, but it was quite, uh, it was quite a punchy rum punch. Yeah. This is a play, actually, if you're in the Shepherd's Bush area, it's called Sleepover. Now, I know people uh, look forward to my uh, theatrical reviews. <laughs> very, very much so. Sit back, everybody, pour yourself a nice little rum punch, and off she goes. Jane has been to the theatre. I have. Uh, to the Bush Theatre in Shepherd's Bush to see a play called Sleepover. And actually, I'll have to get a wiggle on because I think it's sold out over the weekend. It's a, it's a really, a, I was going to say sweet play, which sounds 
like I'm being very patronising. It's about uh, four young women. Um, they are great school friends. They're, uh, they've been together through a lot. Um, it's called Sleepover, and it's about a succession of sleepovers and social events that they have uh, during a course, the course of about a year and a bit. And they grow up, and things change, and there are all sorts of challenges. But they're all good. All the actresses in it are good. But Bucky Backray is in it, and if you've seen the film Rocks, you will know that she is astonishing. She's just got that presence that marks just some people out as being really special and I know she's gone on to great success I think she's doing a show on Apple TV in a couple of weeks either out already or it's going to be out very soon Uh, so she's going places Uh, and I think it's probably it it might not be all that long that you can get to see people of her sort of quality on stage in a theatre like that one the Bush Theatre in Shepherd's Bush so also fantastic to see actually genuinely a theatre audience that was I would say well, not by no stretch of the imagination was it 100% white. And let's be honest about this. If you go to the theatre in a lot, even in London, it is overwhelmingly a white and, frankly, silver-haired audience on many occasions. Nothing like that last night and really, really good to see it, actually. Brilliant. Mm, it sounds good. It I like good. the I, I like those plays where um, you're you're caught up in just one event. You know, I struggle sometimes mm. with seeing plays where you're expected to, you know, the the scenery changes and you're suddenly uh, looking out over a lake and then the scenery changes again and you're in somebody's sitting room I like it when you're just in something with the actors so that sounds brilliant I do recommend it and I think if you have young teenagers in your life take them to see it Mm. because if they're not interested in theatre or think they're not give them this if you haven't seen rocks i think rocks is one of those movies uh, that suffered so much from coming out during the pandemic Mm. because it was in that time where you could just about go and see something in a cinema but you had to be um you know the the there were only kind of you could only have one person on every four seats yeah in the cinema and i think it would have been a huge hit if they'd been able to show it in normal times, oh, it's a really good film. It's very touching, and it's probably the best film I've seen about young friendship ever. Yeah, actually, and it doesn't spare the punches. I think no. it's it's it's, it's not soppy or soft. No, it's no. it's fantastically realistic, mm. and the acting's superb. Yeah. So so you know, grab it when you can. Obviously, it's streaming now. Yeah, um, but it's well worth seeing. Now, I just wanted to mention this. Yeah, um, uh, and I'm not joking about this. This isn't a funny thing, really, but it's an illustration of how Fee and I do sometimes talk about how the world of broadcasting has changed uh, during the time that we've been in it, and we occasionally we try to make because it is a you know, we don't want to go on about it, but it is relatively unusual still for two women to be doing a radio program together. Uh, it's unheard of. It is unheard of. Yes, <laughs> and a story reaches our ears today via the good old BBC about a male radio presenter. And it, it, this is just a story from a bygone age uh, concerning a broadcaster from a bygone age. Pat Sharp has left his greatest hits radio show after reportedly making an inappropriate comment to a woman at an event. The 61-year-old presenter was comparing an industry awards ceremony when, according to Deadline, he made a comment about a woman's breasts. <laughs> Sharp said he was truly sorry, adding he'd apologised to the woman directly. A spokesman for Greatest Hits Radio said the DJ would leave the station with immediate effect. There we go. It's can, pathetic, isn't it? It's 2023. Can you remember what Pat Sharp's uh, kind of catchphrase was? It was something, well, there's no need to remember it now. No. It's, we've cast it to... Let's try and forget, eh? Audio broadcasting history. Mm. Yeah, but he did have a very, very odd 
hairstyle. And he was one of those people as well who just, uh, do you remember when he was in kind of kids' TV and he just always had to arrive on a bike? That's how oh, I remember yeah. Pat Sharp. There's something sort of hyperactive about all yeah. the uh, kids' TV programmes that jiggle and jostle around. Don't they? Enjoy the retirement. Uh, right, this is a criticism from Hannah. Uh, who says, Dear Jane and Fee, I was so happy to find your podcast. It's great to hear you again. But on listening to your comments about Paula Yates, I was struck by how I had a perception of Paula that wasn't correct, an alcoholic druggie who abandoned her children. I was shocked at myself. It took me back to you earlier in the day when I watched the Pamela Anderson documentary on Netflix and realised my perception of her was very wrong too. Uh, It did make me angry for both women. Oh, I see. So it's not a criticism of us. It's saying that we had pointed out something and corrected. Well, we pointed out, I I was saying that I also had the same view as Hannah, practically, of Paul Yates. So it's interesting. Yeah, I never had that, though. I I was always sympathetic towards her. Do you know, I just felt that she, the, the... the drug hell that she descended into, and that was what killed her, was an overdose, wasn't it? Well, it was, but it, interestingly, um, I don't think she'd taken drugs for the preceding couple of years. Oh, gosh. So it was really... So she was actually killed by an amount of drugs that quite possibly wouldn't have killed somebody who was a more frequent user. Yeah. So, so it's a, it was an absolute tragedy, um, obviously, for everybody concerned. And um, anyway, this is because, in case anybody's wondering, there are some documentaries about Paulie Yates on Channel 4, I think, next week. Yeah, which I'm really looking forward to watching. Uh, and it's good, isn't it, uh, when you can have the reputation of someone rectified in your eyes with a little bit more understanding. Uh, because, as you said, she just was put through the mill in terms of the tabloids. So, Hannah, you got that reputation from, uh, you know, the way that people sold newspapers around her, and I don't think that was the case at all. So looking forward to seeing those. Uh, by the way, our email address is janeandfee at times.radio. Do use it. You can talk about absolutely anything you like, and we do guarantee uh, that we look at every single email that comes in. Uh, this one from Jane Wall is spectacular. Uh, inside, including my recently installed little stove, outside and the view from it, it's her cabin. Have you seen these? Oh, that's a book. So we were talking about uh, lady spaces on the podcast yesterday uh, because somebody had very kindly sent us the inside of their lady shed and we were asking for more lady spaces. Very jealous of this as well. Look this at that. Lovely... Would you like to describe that in your very best radio training I, I'm, I'm not, well, I didn't get onto the course, as I explained <laughs> yesterday, so I don't have good describing skills. Um, I think she shed is really great. I love that term. And it does look snowy out there in Suffolk, doesn't it? Um, it's very, very cosy. Um, how would you describe... Is that oak wood-lined? What do you, well, you're much better at this. You got on the course. So I would describe that on the outside as looking like a very neat and tidy, you know, end-of-the-garden shed. Mm. But once inside, it opens into a luxurious, wood-panelled, cosy festival of hunker downydom hunky downydom is absolutely i want to be i want to round off my life sitting on a porch uh with probably no teeth realistically just chewing something something soft on a porch like that and just gazing out at the horizon just rock yourself away with my great-grandchildren clustered around me not making any demands on me but just you know just looking up at me and going i hope i don't live that as long as her (laughs) something like that or if i do i hope i've got more teeth so much to look forward to jane (laughs) for my great-grandchildren yes (laughs) 
Uh, do you want to get to the guest or do you want to do another email first? Um, oh, I want to... Kate, the podiatrist, has forgiven us after my... Oh, good. My total apology. And um, so it's good, it's good to have you back with us, Kate. And we did have another interesting one on these lines. Hang on a sec. Oh, hang on, I've lost it. Shall I read this one from Joe Carter while you yes, do some you shuffling? Do uh, hi, Jane and Fee. I was catching up on the podcast earlier today and the chat about loneliness and throwing away the Mr Darcy checklist. And Fee mentioned about kindness being next to wisdom. This is slightly off topic, but my dad has Alzheimer's, which is quite advanced now, and I regularly try to summon up memories of him before the Alzheimer's took hold, something which is becoming harder and harder. One of the pieces of advice he gave to me years ago, which really stuck, was that if someone one of your children, a colleague, friend, etc., had got themselves into a sticky situation, then if you could, you should try and give them an escape route, a way to take responsibility without losing too much face, as often people backed into a corner only make worse decisions and make a bad situation even worse. I hold on to this as an example of his wisdom and kindness. What's the point of being wise if you're not also kind? I think that is brilliant, Joe, And that is absolutely the correct example of kindness being next to wisdom. So to think through how you can let someone who's been a little bit of a shit get themselves out of that shitty hole and restore themselves in their eyes and in your eyes. That's just clever, isn't it? But it is also really kind and solves the situation so much more than just shouting at them. Yeah, but honestly, resisting the temptation to shout, that takes strength, doesn't it? Well, it does, but by the time you get to that rocking position with just your gums right. on the porch, I think you will have mastered that. I wanted to say hello to Denise, who sent us um, an email about all sorts of things, including the fact that <laughs> me talking about uh, a possible military career reminded her of when her daughter was 17 and just to get out of lessons, um, she would pretend she wanted to join the army and spend time with the army recruiter whenever they visited the school. But in fact, she had no no interest at all in joining the army. And in the end, it all came back to bite her on the bottom uh, when the recruiter called one evening to set up an appointment to discuss <laughs> our daughter's future. Rumble! Uh, but lastly, uh, Denise got a laugh from a work paper done by her great niece, who is eight. After learning about Martin Luther King and listening to his famous I Have a Dream speech, the children in her class were given a paper to colour and complete the sentence, I have a dream too. Well, the idea was they'd say something about philanthropy or world peace or activism, but it was lost on great-niece Lucy, who wrote, I have a dream to ride on a unicorn one day. Um, There we are. Perhaps not quite what teacher had intended, but nevertheless, that remains her dream. And perhaps, who knows, she will achieve it. Maybe. Um, This is from N. I am an NHS occupational therapist. So imagine my delight at your discussion about a podiatrist who was talking about NHS podiatry shortages. Speaking as another little understood profession with the NHS, could you introduce a new slot? Jobs in hospitals no one understands until you need one. We also have huge shortages. And whilst we are 100% behind nursing and medical teams and the demands they're under, the thousands of occupational therapists in our hospitals and communities never get a mention. Neither do speech and language therapists, dietitians, podiatrists, prosthetists, People working in the area of prosthetics. And what? Orthotists. Orthotists. Thank you. People working in the area of (laughs) (laughs) orthotists. 
Yes. And thank you for that. And I'm sorry that I balls that up towards the end there because this is important stuff. And actually, that is not a bad idea. Why don't we do a feature regularly on jobs that need filling, roles that need filling, jobs that need doing? That is a very good idea. Yeah. I also happen to know from work I did with the NHS that there's a worldwide shortage of urologists. So, you know, somebody somewhere needs to start doing those jobs. Why would there be a worldwide shortage of urologists? It was a question I did ask in a meeting once, and I can't remember the answer, I'm afraid. But it, it's a genuine thing, and obviously urologists are people who um, deal with... Can we just Google what urologists <laughs> i tell you what, we've got the opening question to that slot, haven't we? Now, urologists, of course, uh, Kate, our producer, is going to tell us, they treat the what? A urologist treats problems of the female urinary system and the male Genito-urinary tract. Pro- hang on. Problems with the female urinary system and... The male genito-urinary tract. And the men's genito-urinary tract. Yeah, so, so your water works. Well, your water, your plumbing and prostate in men, obviously. And, um, yes, and it's, I suppose it's not the most glamorous part of the medical world, is it? But, goodness me, it's important. Yeah, that surprises me, actually, because I would have thought in terms of... Uh, supply and demand there would be a very very high demand for urologists so you would choose it as a discipline if you were going through mm. medicine because it would guarantee you a job further down the line interesting jane yes if anybody is listening uh who I is hope studying someone is genitourinary tracts uh, then we could do with a little bit of a pointer as to why uh, that's an underpowered area of medicine and uh, well, we're in danger of becoming a little bit medical um, oh, you can't do too much body stuff. You can't, actually. No. I must no. actually consult you about my latest problem as well, but we'll do that off air. I tell you what, why don't we do that on stage at the Royal Festival Hall, Jane, darling? <laughs> <laughs> you can quick, show me. Quick one from Alice, uh, dear Jane and Sue. <laughs> right, so I've got Fee's name wrong yesterday. Um, I, too, generally share your slight uncertainty around the real value of International Women's Day. But I did want to share something that has boosted my optimism this particular year. Last night, MPs voted overwhelmingly to make protests within 150 metres of abortion clinics against the law. And a 14-year campaign ended in victory. Now, I happened to pass a Mary Stopes clinic twice a day on my commute. And the regular presence of protesters outside its gate makes my blood boil every single time. Seeing the news this morning that the law will change genuinely made my International Women's Day and reminded me that progress is being made, albeit slowly, by the power of women working together. Thank you for that, Alice. I suppose I should say, you know, in the interest of absolute balance, that the person at least the most notable person who's been in the news around this subject, protesting outside an abortion clinic, is a woman. So uh, that that view of abortion, which, I mean, I happen to share Alice's view of abortion, isn't shared by everybody, including some women. So um, it's... But it's, yeah, the idea that you would decide to spend your time... I mean, if a peaceful protest outside an abortion clinic is one thing. Uh, shouting at women going in is quite another. Yeah. I uh, agree. And you never know the reasons why somebody's become pregnant. It's not your business to no. ask. Uh, I'm going to hang fire on Louise Seymour's email because it's just fantastic. It's to do with Richard III. Oh. It is to do, to do with the remains. She was she was there, Jane. She was there. Okay, yep. we'll, we'll fit we're in. Gonna, no, we're going to keep it until next week. But will you remember? Yes, I'm gonna, it's going to be on the top of my pile. I've got a special little folder at home for these emails now. Ooh. Hang on, did you get that from work? No. I actually got it from previous work. 
Ah. I know. I well. Ah. Mm, ah. It was at a BBC leaving do last week and I've still got connections there, you know. You thought that the big media scandal was Gary Lineker's tweet? No, but it's you. I think you'll find it's my stolen stationery. Using stationery from a stick... From another employer. Right, our big guest today was uh, a journalist called James B. Stewart. He is a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, journalist. He is the co-author of a book called Unscripted with Rachel Abrams. Now, this is about, well, it's about the glitz and the glamour and the tawdry and the appalling and the shady business deals behind the glimmering, glittering curtain of show business in in America, uh, in Hollywood specifically. And at the heart of Unscripted, which some people have compared to succession, indeed it's being plugged as the real succession story, um, is a guy called Sumner Redstone. Now, you might think, never heard of him in a million years, but I'm telling you, you will have been, well, privy to some of his work and probably actually helped to put some dollars, at least, in his considerable family fortune. Um, he was the son of a lino salesman and he's the founder of Paramount Global. And in 2020, he died at the age of 97. So Unscripted takes us into his life and tells us about the people he mingled with, the horrific things he did to women, with women. Uh, and in the end, he ended up being treated very badly by some younger women who he had tried to... Anyway, you'll have to really hear the interview and possibly read the book. People are about to. <laughs> it's absolutely... <laughs> fascinating story and does suggest i have to say and it'll surprise me this that power and money corrupt so james b stewart was our guest today and we began by asking him to tell us the names of all the companies that sumner redstone when in his pomp was in control of he controlled a, a huge number of household brands starting with the paramount movie studio the cbs broadcast network which under his ownership became the top rated network in the united states um, all the cable channels owned by Viacom, which included MTV, Nickelodeon, Comedy Central, and a slew of others. At his peak, he was arguably the most powerful man in the world of media and entertainment, and certainly one of the richest, with a fortune estimated at close to $15 billion. And he started out with two drive-in movie theaters in the suburbs of Boston, and through sheer willpower uh, and determination and intelligence and ruthlessness, built that into a multi-billion dollar empire. Okay, um, it's going to be a long and complicated tale, obviously, but how did he achieve such success in that field? Well, he was ruthless. Uh, He was extremely competitive, even with his own family members. I heard you mention, you know, this has been compared to the TV show Succession. And in some ways, it's even stranger than uh, Succession. But it is, at heart, a family story. But he was he had tremendous determination. One of the formative experiences in his life, he was staying in a hotel in Boston when a fire broke out on his floor. And he had to escape out the window. And he hung from the window ledge, first by two hands, and then when the heat became intense, one hand, his hand was burned. He was ultimately rescued. He hung on. And that convinced him that he would always succeed. And by the way, it was invincible. He went around saying he was going to live forever. Yeah. I can't have really believe that, but he did live a long time. And a little known fact, not known at all at the time, is he had a mistress in the room with him. She escaped out the window before him. Uh, and that was like a prelude to a long life 
of incredible infidelity, uh, which, as you see in the story, lapped over into his business dealings. Well, it certainly did. Um, we also just need to acknowledge he was a very bright man. I think he'd gone to Harvard. Um, he was. He also had a distinguished war record as well, didn't he? The Second World War. Yes. Yeah. He went to a very um, competitive and exclusive but public school, you know, uh, in Boston. He earned a scholarship to Harvard. He graduated in record time. He learned Japanese, which you know, I, I wouldn't even begin trying that. He learned Japanese. He was fluent. He cracked the Japanese codes during World War II and made a you know, tremendous contribution to the war effort. But he, in doing all of that, it was, you know, he, he, he never really dated. He didn't have, he was so obsessed with getting ahead that I don't think he had a normal adolescence. And he decided, I guess, to make up for that, make up for lost time. He came to Hollywood at age 76. He moved to a mansion in exclusive part of Beverly Hills. He was already a billionaire, a media mogul. And he started making up for lost time. Well, that's a very delicate way of putting it, uh, James, and I'm grateful to you for that. Um, our very nervy listeners in the United Kingdom need to be led gently through what happened next. I mean, he ended up <laughs> essentially... Uh, well, at one point, he was attempting to share girlfriends with his grandson. I mean, I, there was so much in this book that shocked me, but that was probably the most tawdry aspect of everything. Well, yeah, yeah, you're you're right. Um, the you know one of the interesting things is is ultimately I think this is a family drama, and he was so competitive that he ended up competing with his own daughter. He drove his son into exile, who wanted to have nothing to do with him, and he even competed, as you say, with his grandson for women. And his grandson, of course, obviously many years younger would go out with, you know, beautiful, glamorous, whatever. And the next thing, his grandfather would be putting the moves on, on these women. And the grandfather had the advantage of billions of dollars to shower on them. So you wonder, hmm, why would these women decide to date the grandfather in his 90s? Well, the answer is money. And he was showering millions of dollars on a succession of women, two of whom eventually moved in with him and slowly but surely, as he aged and his physical and mental state deteriorated, began to isolate from his him from his family, cut him off, get themselves into his estate planning, get control of his trust. They came very, very close to gaining control of the whole media empire when his daughter couldn't take it anymore and finally, reluctantly, was drawn into the fray. And that's how the story here, the drama, really starts unfolding. Yes, I mean, it is It is quite remarkable. We should say that his really bizarre behaviour, particularly around women, was enabled by a lot of people, including some members of his own family. He would occasionally be challenged, though not all that often. No, he was rarely, rarely challenged. I mean, again, these things don't happen in a vacuum. And, and by the way, the culture of these major enterprises, and remember, this is a multi these are he had two publicly traded multi-billion dollar companies with thousands of employees and shareholders and uh, everyone around knew him <laughs> there's there one scene that paramount is celebrating its 100th anniversary and he comes onto the lot and there's this glamorous young woman with him wearing um acrylic stiletto heels and a very revealing dress so somebody who was president turned to another executive at the company and said, who's that with Sumner Redstone? And with a straight face, he said, that's his home health care aide. 
they all knew what was going on. They, I mean, they were having board meetings in the mansion hosted by the two women living with him. No one ever, no one ever really challenged him. He, he boasted that the directors of these publicly traded companies had never defied him on anything he wanted to do. And by the way, if they did, he just replaced them. So, James, as a writer, what's the lesson to be learned from his life? You know, where's the the thing that you find so intriguing you want to pass on to the reader? Well, if anyone needs further proof that great wealth, not to mention the power that goes with it, does not buy happiness or peace of mind, this tale will reinforce that idea. Now, I realize that's not a, a new idea, and I wouldn't go so far to say that money is meaningless, but it, and maybe it can enhance the quality of life. But if you think that that and the single-minded pursuit of it is going to bring you satisfaction, this, this does not happen in the story. And one of the interesting things about Sumner is he, he was self-aware. He told some of his girlfriends that the reason he kept saying he was never going to die is that he feared the final reckoning. He said to one of them, I'm going to hell anyway, so I might as well do whatever I want. But you see in this story that you know, the reckonings in life do not require death and, and a meeting with our maker, whoever that might be. His reckoning came while he was still alive. And this, the sorry state of affairs in his final years, again, it's shocking to me that a billionaire, you would think, would have the best lawyers, the best medical care, the best nurses, the best staff, in fact, was living in his own hell in the final years where he's crying all the time. He's isolated from his family. He's cut off. He can't speak. Um, It's a very sad tale in that sense. But I think it's an important one for anyone who wants to get some insight into what really counts in life. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Off Air with Jane and Fee, and we are talking to the journalist James B. Stewart. Now, we asked him about the group Sumner Redstone did try to champion they were called the Electric Barbarellas. Well, here's an example of no one standing up to him because he was he was infatuated with the, the lead singer of this group called the Electric Barbarellas. So he insisted that they be placed on, they get their own reality TV show on MTV, which they did. And even though the executives at MTV were all appalled and horrified, and when that predictably failed, 
the electric Barbarellas came back in a new variation called the electric, that's spelled A-L-E-T-R-I-X, which is basically the same show and the same group, but with a different name. And then that failed. And then he also insisted that um, they perform on the CBS television network, which the executives managed to put them on the latest possible show in the last act at about 1230 a.m., but anyway, you can you can see the electric Barbarellas on YouTube right. if you want to see firsthand just how like off key and how absurd this whole idea was. <laughs> but this is an example where his infatuation spilled over into the company and he, he knew no boundary. I just wanted to ask you, yeah. to those people wondering, actually, what does any of this have to do with us? This tawdry and shocking behavior uh, in the higher reaches of the entertainment industry. So what? What is your response to that? Well, I think anyone can relate, first of all, to the family drama here, that uh, the daughter who has to come back in and wrest control of the empire from first these women and then the men who are trying to seize, seize power. Uh, and it's, I think it's an incredibly moving story of her quest for her father's approval and love. And, you know, as a child myself, I can relate to that. And it's a, a very interesting story of a father and a daughter, which I think hasn't been explored so much in nonfiction. And I think we all yearn, you know, for our whole lives of the love and approval that we sometimes so we didn't get. So there's that. And then secondly, I think anyone, especially women who are in the workplace in any environment, we, we got an incredible trove of emails and texts that show what these powerful men were really thinking and saying. Mm. And it's, it's horrible. It's so much worse than I would have guessed. And in fact, somebody said no CEO will ever write a text again after reading this book because we got the actual passages. And the level of sexism in the workplace, I'm, I'm sorry to say, is much more pervasive than I feared. And it, 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 that battle is not over. That's a really interesting point. And of course, these white men, and it is actually overwhelmingly white men, hugely wealthy, are, are giving us the entertainment we devour. I mean, if you've watched Friends, you're a part of this, aren't you? Yes, absolutely. It completely spills over into the programming and their sense of what people both want to see and should see. And, you know, the the treatment, um, there's a scene where one of the directors takes Sherry Redstone and grabs her by the chin and lectures her. And when she later says that was completely inappropriate behavior, he said, well, I didn't treat you any differently than I treat my own daughter but I'm not your daughter. I, you know, I'm the vice chairman of these publicly traded companies. And I think, you know, you see this paternalism. And, you know, these are, are men who, if you ask them, would say, oh, no, no, I'm not a sexist. I'm not misogynist. But then their behavior completely belies, you know, the, 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 you know, the platitudes that they spout. So I think, you know, that's something that, um, you know, everyone in the workplace needs to be aware of. And it's very revealing in the story. Pulitzer Prize-winning author James B. Stewart, and that book, Unscripted, about Paramount Global and all the other shady goings-on in Hollywood, is out now. Now, we do love hearing from you, so please do feel free to email us. It's Jane and Fee at times.radio. And do make the most of the theme tune, because we've already had one production meeting where we've been played some samples of alternatives. We're, we're just going to take it down tempo, aren't we? We're going acoustic... We're going a little more, I don't know, late night jazz. Yes, well, that is, are we late night jazz? A little bit more strings, guitars, definitely. Do you know what? We would not be able to enter our next theme tune in the Eurovision Song Contest and hope to even come on the first board. I'd like to hear a little bit of the lute.
you know, like a like a medieval lady. No, no, <laughs> not going to hear anything featuring a lute. We are not. Well, I want to sort of get the uh, get the vibe going of a kind of medieval banqueting hall. No, I don't want that. No, Kate, I don't want that. Don't let that happen. No, nope. I nice. tell you what, we don't want. We don't want a lute. We don't want a madrigal. We don't want a bassoon. And I don't think we really want the oh, oboe. I'm... You and your bloody oboe. That's absolutely done it. Right. You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live, uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.